podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I hope I can come back, like you said, one more time. That was Roger Federer opening our podcast. And that's the feeling we all have. We just hope we can come back one more time. He was speaking at a huge celebration of Centre Court on Sunday. The first ever middle Sunday was scheduled play. And they decided to delay play by 45 minutes so that they could play some music and shake a few hands. Uh, more on that later. We'll talk about some tennis in today's Love Tennis podcast. Podlet, I should say. Uh, I'm James Gray of iNewspaper and iNews.co.uk. I'll be running you through what happened yesterday, what's going to happen over the course of Monday and beyond. We're halfway through the fourth round. This would usually be Manic Monday. I have to say I'm quite glad it's not because the levels of tiredness in the press pack are at an all-time high, I would suggest. But let's crack on, let's talk about what happened yesterday. I'm going to start with the tennis, and then we can talk about the centenary celebrations a little bit as well. They were uh, different. Some people really enjoyed them. Some people found them very uncomfortable. I would be interested to know your opinions if you caught them on TV in the UK. If you're not in the UK, you probably didn't see any of it, and therefore have no opinions whatsoever. So, I mean, you can always email us anyway, lovetennispod at gmail.com, but you might not have an opinion about that. Um, the pick of the matches was Yannick Sinner against Carlos Alcaraz yesterday. Uh, two people who we think are going to play a lot over the next 10 years. We hope they're going to play a lot. We hope there will be some matches bigger than fourth rounds at Wimbledon. Um, I'm not going to say disappointed, but I thought it could have been a much better match. Carlos Alcaraz didn't really get out the gate um, he lost the first set 6-1. It was a litany of unforced errors that really gave that away. Um, he didn't force a single break point. I think he only won maybe eight points on Sinner's serve all set. And he really just didn't get anywhere near the Italian, who, in fairness, served well all day. Uh, and just out outplayed Alcaraz in every facet, to be honest. Um, I mean, the second set was a little closer, and Alcaraz started to serve a bit better, which helped. Um, but nevertheless, Sinner had one breakpoint opportunity. He took it in the second game, while the momentum really was still with him. In the first game, I should say, actually. And he never really looked back. It, it was only really, I would say the tie break of the third set that Alcaraz really got going. Um, the third set itself was, again, fairly serve-dominated, as you kind of expect with these two players and on this surface. Um, I think Alcaraz saved break points in the opening game again, but other than that, it was pretty serve-dominated. And then a brilliant tie break, really. Um, Alcaraz saved two match points. Uh, he was 6-3 up at one point and then failed to finish it there then found himself 8-7 down. Uh, he eventually converted set point at 9-8 on the Sinner serve to seal it and take us to a fourth. And at that point, we thought we might be in for five sets, which I have to say, I already thought 
we were going to have from the beginning. It just looked like a five-setter on paper. These two, obviously, quite similar games to an extent, albeit with slightly different strengths, but I think stylistically not dissimilar. Um, I think Alcaraz... I mean, I'm no expert, and I will ask Calvin this when he's on the next podlet, but I don't see how he can win grass court matches from 8, 10 feet behind the baseline. You know, you surely have to get up on the baseline and take some time away from your opponent at some point. You know, he's someone who you think does come forward quite merrily, but I just felt he was sat so deep against Sinner that I found it hard to to understand how he was gonna how he was gonna get that win, to be honest. Um and sure enough, Sinner already had a big enough lead and he took the fourth set six three and again you know, Alcaraz's serve level went down. Sinner, I mean, he just played a lot better than him. It's kind of hard to analyse it much more than that. Um, he, it's funny enough, I someone asked him, Did, were you thinking five sets after Carlos won the third? And he said, no, I just tried to stay in the moment. Um, I had chances in the third, I didn't use them. My level was still high. I just tried not to drop my level. I struggled a bit in the fourth and beginning, so I tried to serve well, and I'm happy to close it out. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I kind of back him on that. Like, it, it's sort of what happened, to be quite honest. Players don't always tell the truth about how matches turned out, but I think it probably did. He's going to play Novak Djokovic next. Um, we'll talk about that matchup probably more to, on Tuesday's podlet than previewing Wednesday's play. But, um, he was asked about Novak Djokovic. He said it's going to be a tough match, of course. Uh, I mean, he's playing very, very good. I'll try my best. That's the minimum I can do. Just go and enjoy every moment out there, which is what I've done today. Um, I think that's an interesting attitude. You know, Sinner's always someone I regard, I think we regard as a bit of a tennis geek. And probably going up against Djokovic on centre court will really um, excite that part of him. He has obviously played Djokovic before last year in Monte Carlo, and he got absolutely pasted 6-4-6-2. Um, so, you know, he knows the level. Clay's a little bit different, albeit that grass on centre, not particularly quick, although it's nothing like Clay, I suppose. Um, it'll be an interesting matchup, put it that way. Um, and Alcaraz will be here again. You know, he, he won three matches in a row in straight sets. Oh, beg your pardon. It was five sets against the truth, wasn't it? But he won three matches in a row at Wimbledon. You know, that's there's some learning going on there. And, and Sinner has probably just learned a bit quicker when it comes to grass and, and maybe worked it out. As I say, he's going to play Novak Djokovic, who beat Tim van Rechthoven. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, but I don't speak Dutch. And I apologise to Flemish and Walloon listeners who may think that I got that wrong. Or are there no Walloons in the Netherlands? I got that wrong as well. Anyway, the low countries. I'm sorry for not understanding your language well enough. Uh, credit to Tim van Richthofen. He's obviously been a dream run. He had those horror injuries earlier in his career. He stuck at it. He won Rhodes Marlin. He beat Taylor Fritz, Felix Auger-Alia, Seaman, Daniel Medvedev there. He's already beaten the likes of Riley Apelka here at Wimbledon. And that set up, you know, what, what realistically is a dream match for him up against Novak Djokovic on centre court. Um, because of this centenary celebration, they didn't get underway until 8pm, which I don't like it. it. It's supposed to be an outdoor grass tournament, and the way the scheduling is at the moment, every late match on centre is under the roof. And fine, you know, 
I think it's good. It's on primetime TV. More people can watch it. That's a good thing with a capital A-G-T. But from a tennis perspective, it does change things. I mean, if, if you've ever been to Centre Court and you've been there before the roof shut and after, especially on a day when it's not raining, you know, when it's just shut for the floodlights, basically, it gets humid, like really humid. And anyone who watched the French Open, particularly Nadal versus Vera, will know what humidity does to a match. It completely changes the timbre of it. I mean, you, you have to think that it did not favour Tim van Richthofen and his big serve. Like, he he did not get as much out of his serve, I'm sure, as he would have done in outdoor conditions. And, you know, that doesn't seem quite fair. He'd played outdoors the whole time on the way through. I mean, he still hit 20 aces in four sets, but it certainly wasn't as effective. And, and okay, Novak Djokovic is one of the greatest returners of all time. Of course he is. But... I would love to just see that match one more time in outdoor conditions because, you know, Van Richthofen got the second set. He, he lost the first set pretty convincingly. He looked at, not overwhelmed, but just looked like Djokovic was going to Djokovic him. And he roared back. He took It took a lot of effort to win that second set. Let's not beat around the bush here. Taking a set off Djokovic is hard at the best of times, but he served for it at 5-4 and it was just painful stuff. I mean, you know, it was, I don't know if Nerve even covers it, but he saved four break points. He had two set points before he finally took a third uh, to take us into the third set at one set all. And at that point, it looked like the 11pm curfew was going to be a real problem because there had already been an hour and 30 minutes gone. There was only 90 minutes left. So it was going to take Djokovic to really run through things to, uh, to get done and not have to come back on Monday, which would have been a huge disruption, clearly. As it was, he did exactly that. He ran through him and 6-1, 6-2, the last two sets were Djokovic just moving through the gears. I mean, getting balls back that no one else in the world would get, making Van Richthofen play the extra ball and so often he would miss it because that's what it's like playing Novak Djokovic. Um, I think the unforced error count will look very high. I think there were maybe 53 in the end from TVR. And and there were a lot of unforced errors, but when you're playing Djokovic, he, those unforced errors are kind of forced because you spend more time having to hit more balls. And I, I know that doesn't make any sense, but I think if you watch Djokovic enough, you'll understand that he forces you to make errors you wouldn't otherwise make. They're through, Djokovic and Sinner. Uh, Cam Norrie is also through to his first ever Grand Slam quarterfinal. He beat Tommy Paul 4-5-4, and four. Very comfortable. He's looking very good. And he's got a very winnable quarterfinal because he's going to play David Goffin, who came through five sets against Francis Tiafo. Who knows what he's got left in his legs after four hours and 37 minutes against Tiafo there. It was a, a brilliant match to watch. I mean, anyone who's watched either of those players knows that they're really good to watch at the best of times. And they're really put on a show. It was well worth being there for anyone who managed to get out onto court number two. Um, and I think it's nice to see David Goffin back at this kind of level. He's a really entertaining player. He he seems like one of the game's nice guys. Um, I think he just he he has something to him that makes him very likable. And even the game that he plays is very likable. It feels very honest, for want of a better word. And you know he scraps and he works really hard. And I just 
I just enjoy it. I really do enjoy it um, on, on every level, really. So um, I, I do think Cam will beat him as it is uh, because I think Cam is just quite simply a better player. Um, he's playing at a higher level and he's also quite similar to Goffin in that he too gets a lot of balls back. But I think he's just better and, and crucially fitter as well. You know, Cam is one of the fittest guys on tour. He ran 10Ks every day over lockdown to try and get into that state. And I think Goffin will find, having played close to five hours on Sunday, that, you know, going down the stretch with Cam Norrie will be pretty tough. Um, you know, I'm, I'm maybe I'm completely wrong there. Maybe you disagree. Let us know on Twitter, maybe, at, at Love Tennis Pod. But that's the way I see it. Let's move on to the women's game. There were, of course, four matches in the women's draw yesterday. And I think there were maybe three surprise winners. I don't know. There were certainly three unseeded winners, um, which is not a total surprise because there were two all-unseeded clashes. But anyway, uh, the four women through are Marie Buzkova, Jules Niemeyer, Tatiana Maria, and Ons Jabeur, which are probably, probably only one of those names you're expecting to hear in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. Um, he, she, I should say, in Tatiana Maria, is probably the most amazing story. She came from a set down to beat Yelena Ostapenko, 5-7-7-5-7-5. Uh, Tatiana Maria is 34. She's never made a Grand Slam quarterfinal before. She's got two kids, um, I think age nine and age two. Uh, she was actually hitting with her older kid um, in the morning of her fourth round match. Uh, which I just love, you know, Djokovic has been doing it with his kid this week and that's been quite quite sweet, really. And um, she was just so excited afterwards, just pure elation to have done what she's done. Um, her husband is her coach. Uh, she switched to the single-handed backhand um, a few years ago on his advice and it seemed to have worked out. She's going to play an all-German quarterfinal against Jules Niemeyer, the big-serving German who saw off Heather Watson two and four. I just think these stories are great. I know the women's draw is a mess and it it's tough because there aren't recognisable names in there for a lot of people. But they are new stories. You know, Tatiana Maria's story is great. She's playing against Niemeyer, who's an up-and-coming German. She's 12 years younger than her. And actually, Maria says she doesn't know her that well, despite the fact they're both German and you would think had come across each other a fair bit. But, you know, hopefully that match can have some real cut-through in Germany where... You know, there has been German success at this slam. Oscar Rotti went reasonably far. Angie Kerr obviously went out early. But I think it's important to have these matches that appeal to other parts of an audience. And if you can't get behind the Tatiana Maria story, you know, going through childbirth twice and coming back to professional tennis, I think is pretty impressive, given the kind of physical strain that pregnancy and childbirth puts on your body. So that should be applauded, if nothing else. Uh, and Ons Jabeur came through a bit of a battle with Elise Mertens. Um, she won the first set in a tiebreak, 11-9. Took more than an hour, that set. Uh, and then she managed to come through the second, 6-4, slightly more easily. But it, it was, you know, the stats don't lie in this case. It was a real battle. Uh, the total points won was 87-82 to Jabeur, you know, which is really close. She... um. She wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think she was broken as many as three times in the match uh, and obviously broke back more, but you, you just... 
I just wonder what's going to happen in this tournament when Entrebois comes up against someone of real quality. Like, with no disrespect to Elise Mertens, who's a decent player and who knocked out Kerber, among others, I do wonder... I mean, Jabir's going to play Marie Buzkova next, who, you know, is, is yet another Czech woman with ability to go deep in Grand Slams. She's obviously got a decent doubles record. People will know that about her. I think she's won more WTA... In fact, she's won three WTA doubles titles and no WTA singles titles. So that tells you a little bit. It means that, you know, she should have a bit of propensity on grass, but she's never really done anything at Grand Slams before. Um, she's, she's never won consecutive matches at Grand Slams in singles before Wimbledon this year. So you'd think Jabir comes through that. And then I was looking forward to a Jabir-Ostapenko semi-final, but that dream is dead. So she's now going to play either Tatiana Maria or Jules Niemeyer, which it's going to be a hard semi-final to sell to the public, put it that way. I think we're all play, praying that today's women's draw does not fall apart in the same way. Um, we've got Anna Samova against Harmony Tan, Paola Bedosa against Simona Halep, Elena Rybakina against Petra Martic, and Elise Cornet against Ayla Tomlanovic. Um, I've picked Anna Samova, Harmony Tan as the upset of the day. There aren't many matches at this stage which you can call upsets, so you will have a limited field if you're going to pick one. But I watched the Goff-Anna Samova match, and I felt that when Goff took the pace off, and when she made Anna Samova put the pace on the ball, she struggled. And Tan is going to do a lot of that, as we know from her previous matches against Serena, against Cerebus Tormo, against Bolter. She will slice and dice to the end of time. And I just wonder how Anisimova is going to be able to pick that up. She might work it out. She might play brilliantly. And Tan might have come to the end of the road because she's, you know, this is very much new territory for her. But I do wonder a bit about exactly how that's going to play out. Um, the big match in the women's draw today is Bedosa against Halep. It's on centre court. Bedosa's already played on centre. She beat Kvitova in the third round. Halep, of course, knows centre court extremely well. She was on centre on Sunday, along with 25 other Wimbledon champions for 45 minutes when we should have been playing tennis. Um, but Roger Federer was there, so no one really minded. And he said how much he missed being on centre court. So that was fine, apparently. Uh, Halep will be back in more serious circumstances. Second on centre on Monday. Um, she obviously smashed Bedosa, uh, I think, for about four games in Madrid earlier uh, in the year uh, Bedosa kind of mentioned it in her post-match and says well she clearly liked playing against me I just hope she doesn't enjoy it quite so much um, on on Monday uh, she played unbelievable in that match she said I'll try and face it different and let's see how it goes I mean that suggests to me that Bedosa is like well I don't know if uh, I don't know if we're getting through this because which is fine like if you want to big, up, big yourself up as the underdog and say, oh, it's hers to lose, then I think that's absolutely fine. But I just I hope the Bedosa doesn't wander out there and lose 3-1 and one and, you know, it doesn't really matter. Because it does matter massively. And, I mean, I'm not saying that she won't try. I'm just saying I hope that there is some belief behind the, the sort of bravado of saying, oh, Simone is very good and she smashed me last time, so I can't really see how I'm going to get anything out of it this time I, th I think I think she's got more to her in fairness but let's just um, let's just keep our fingers crossed eh, for for a decent match uh, the other matches that I mentioned 
Uh, Elena Rabakina against Petra Martic. I mean, Martic has won some good matches so far. She's yet to drop a set. Um, you know, she's someone who can... I think we we would always have said she, she can be dangerous. Um, she's not always made a massive impact at slams, but she's been to the fourth round here a couple of times. So, you know, that that's not to be sniffed at. Um, she does have a Grand Slam quarterfinal to her name. Uh, if You know, I mean, one, I don't think means a huge amount. And it was the... 2019 French Open which was a weird draw as well but you know I, I think she's got a bit about her she beat Pliskova that year she's got big wins under her belt and I don't think she'll be intimidated by Elena Rybakina who like her hasn't dropped a set and has beaten I mean to be honest on paper it's a tough draw Van der Vega Andreescu uh, Zheng, Kun, Zheng Xinwen and that is not an easy draw and I think if she comes through it I think we start thinking about Rebecca, you know, who's a massive hitter on grass. And the winner of that will play uh, Corne or Tom Janovic. As I spoke about Corne yesterday, she played brilliantly against Sviontek. Um She's a great talker. She's a really nice woman. She's always got opinions, even if you don't agree with them. And if there's one thing we like on this podcast, it's opinions, even if you don't agree with them. Daz, come on, mate. We're allowed to have opinions. Um, anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. As for the men's on Monday, uh, a whole load of really interesting matchups. Of course, we have the return of Nick Kyrgios. He's going to get his first go on centre court of the championship. So far, he's played on three, two, one in that order. So maybe they had to put him on centre. Um, plus, his match on Saturday was probably the most watched of the championship so far. He's up against Brandon Nakashima, uh, the American who is fast improving. And I know lots of listeners are pretty excited about what he might be able to achieve in the game going forward. But this is a big ask against Nick Kyrgios, who, as we know, is one of the better grass court players in the world. One of the best, if you ask him. Um, and if you ask the creators of Matchpoint Tennis Championships, they might agree too, because he's one of the players you can play as. I know he's one that George uh, likes to play as. He was playing his brother the other day, who was uh, up as Daniil Medvedev in a close three-set match, so I'm reliably informed. Um, Matchpoint Tennis Championships is out in three days' time. It's out on the 7th of July. You can pre-order it now from game for PC, PlayStation 4 or 5, Xbox as well. It's also going to be on Xbox Game Pass if you've got that, as I do. I've already been playing it because they were kind enough to send us a preview uh, game. It's it's really good fun. I wouldn't do this unless I really believe that genuinely. Uh, it's You can play as your own player, create someone build him up from 200 in the world and go around the tour, choose what events to play. I think there's over 60 different events on all different surfaces, of course. Um, and actually, it's tactically a really interesting game. I think you really need to know tennis to be good at this game. You can't just kind of cheese it, as I believe the term is, in video gaming. So um, please do give this immersive tennis sim a go. It, it really is worth your time and... Uh, once it comes out on the 7th of July, um, I'll get online and we'll try and do some online gaming with some listeners as well, if indeed you do choose to buy it. There are three other matches on the schedule for the men on Monday, of course, uh, although Nick Kyrgios is anyone anyone will talk about. I'm not going to talk about it much more because you've heard a lot from me and Calvin about him. Uh, we've got Taylor Fritz up against Jason Kubler, the Australian qualifier who's having a dream run. Um, Fritz hasn't dropped a set so far, but I think he's had a pretty favourable draw and you know, Jack Draper beat him to show that he is vulnerable at times. And I know he's got a bit of a knee problem, which 
might be starting to catch up with him. So I think Kubler should fancy his chances there. Um, and we've got Botich van der Zandschulp against Rafa Nadal. Now, this was sort of viewed as one of the matches that, as part of Nadal's really tricky draw, um, which has fallen apart a bit, but, you know, he still had to beat Sonego and he still has to beat Botic. Um, he, Botic hasn't looked perfect so far in the championships, that should be said. He dropped a set to Rusevuri, dropped a set to Gasquet. He's been a bit of a slow starter, to be honest. But, you know, he is someone who has improved a huge amount over the last 12 months or so. Um, he's played a decent amount on grass as well. He played Rosmarlin, albeit he lost in the first round. Um, but he also had a went to the semis at Queens and he went out to Mallorca and played there as well. So he's clearly committed to the grass. Um, you know, being Dutch, they, they play a reasonable amount of grass court tennis there compared to almost anywhere else in the world. So he's got a bit of a record there. Um, it, it's kind of a sign of how far he's come that 12 months ago he was playing qualies at Wimbledon um, and he got in as a lucky loser and made it to the second round and, and then had the year that we, you know, he's gone up 100. 10 places in the world rankings since then and he's now seeded so um yeah quite a unique situation um but up against Rafa Nadal who so far has looked pretty unhindered by the injury that um he had treatment on a couple of weeks ago I think if if he still is fit it's hard to see Botic getting very near him um they played at Roland Garros obviously and I think he got 11 games maybe or 10 games um which you know, is fine, I suppose, but he will fancy a lot more than that. You know, given that that was on clay and, uh, you know, on Nadal's favourite surface ever and probably the greatest clay court player of all time, I think he'll potentially fancy his chances. Um, maybe not of winning, although hopefully he believes that he can, but maybe of uh, making a bit more of an impact uh, than he did at Roland Garros. That will set the quarterfinals today. Uh, it means we'll have the last eight on both sides. We'll know exactly what it looks like. We'll try and speak to Calvin. and George, incidentally, is alive. Uh, he just slept through his alarm uh, for our extended pod. Uh, we'll hear more from Calvin later on in the week. We'll definitely get George back as well. So it won't just be me waffling on to you. But please do come back and listen to the next one. I promise I won't be on my own. Podcast Network.